I'm Logan Crawford, and right now on The Right Way, we are speaking with Judith Mitchell. She is a multi-talented artist, author, and illustrator who expresses her creativity through various mediums such as painting, drawing, mask making, beading, ceramics, and of course, writing. She has a collection of illustrated books that she is responsible for. They include The Thief of Colors, Beauville, the very possibly true story of Alfred and Yip, and the Inn of 1000 Spices. We are delighted to have Judith join us today on The Right Way, and we thank the folks at Crown Books for helping us put her in the spotlight today. And we ask folks like you to subscribe to our channel to support writers like her. Judith, thank you so much for joining me here today on Spotlight. Well, thank you, Logan. I'm delighted to be here. Delighted to have you. As I mentioned before we started rolling, that I'm a big fan of your work. And my first question to you, are you a writer who draws or an artist who writes? Beats me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably um, at least first was and am an artist. And then I decided I was illustrating books for you know, other people. Mm -hmm. And I liked them very well. And then I got some ideas and I thought, well, just for fun, I'll sit at a computer and write them down. Yeah. And it was fun. It was really, I had no intention of, of uh, launching them as books at first. And they sat around and I would every year or so I'd take them out and edit them and say, this is good. This, that's bad. Get rid of it. You know, the editing yeah. thing. And then I ended up with some stories and um, I decided to Give it a try. Why not? You know, really. So I'm and I, I'm illustrating my own stories. So that's kind of fun because I can criticize the writer <laughs> who is me. Exactly. <laughs> like, if the book does well, you blame the artist or you blame the writer and or vice versa. Yeah, I'm it's a great position to be in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What I love about your artwork is the fact that it seems very timeless. When I look at your books, they look like they could have been illustrated now. They look like they could have been illustrated a hundred years ago. They kind of have that Grimm's fairy tale kind of feel about them. Do you feel the same way? Is that your goal? I don't have that as a goal, but that is those are wonderful words to, to hear. I, I like that idea very much. I guess when I was small, I was surrounded by by picture books illustrated by, you know, the real greats like um, uh, Arthur Rackham and Edmund Dulac. And I loved those pictures. I used to stare at them. And I, I, not that I tried to copy them, but I think it just was a very heavy influence on my artwork. I'm not an experimental sort of an artist at all. Um, and I really don't have any uh, yearning to be one, but I love mythology and ancient history and old books. So that those things have probably defined and informed what I do and how I work. But thank you for saying those lovely things. I like that. Oh, it's, they're heartfelt. They're very, very true. Your website is beautiful. Um, the pictures are amazing. And the pictures in your book are amazing as well. So who is your audience for these books? You know, it, it really is me, but that's not <laughs> Um, some of them for, are definitely for children. Mm -hmm. I wrote a story called Great Grandmother Mouse, which actually was published by the South Korea Montessori group of all obscure places. Uh, and that is definitely for children. Mm -hmm. The others are for, I guess, older children, older, you know, young, not young adults, really. 
eight to 12 perhaps, and maybe they're, they're ageless parents if they want to pick up a book and say, this is a good idea. Yeah. It's in a book that my kid has. I like it, I hope. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the fun to, of reading to your children uh, is having a book that captures your imagination as well. And I think your text reinforced with your pictures really do that, where the parents could actually even embellish upon the story if they would, if they will. Um, so they're quite creative and they're quite good. And like I said, they remind me of the classics and uh, you don't see enough of that nowadays for sure. Well, thank you so much. I do, I do appreciate that. Um... I don't draw with anybody else in mind, but I certainly, as I said, was informed by the early illustrators. Uh, and I love the way they captured, as you say, timelessness in those pictures. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, some of the things I've illustrated are actually myths. So you, I don't feel that there's, a, for me, there's no other way to, to depict them than literally. I, I guess I, I try to do it literally so that I capture what I think about them rather than trying to abstract it. And I'm not really painting for an audience. It's just what comes out in me on the paper or canvas. What is your go-to medium when it comes to uh, creating your artwork? Is it acrylics? Is it watercolor? Not well, I've probably worked in all of them. Um, I think I'm best at simply graphite and white paper. Mm -hmm. uh, I got criticized by a professor in, uh, in an art class saying that I didn't do color very well. I think he was actually right or else I'm, <laughs> I made his comment come true because I don't think I'm as good in color most of the time as I am in black and white. Well, I, I enjoyed both. And I think the problem with professors is that they're professional critics rather than professional doers at times, right? Well, I've said that to myself for a long time, but it doesn't seem to work. No, <laughs> I, I enjoy all the mediums I, and I have used them all. Um, Great. In watercolor, I I use them, I, I cheat with watercolor. I don't think this is really the way a watercolor is supposed to work, but I draw the outline in ink and then I fill in the colors. It's like paint by numbers sort of thing. I don't just go sort of splashing the colors on the paper because I can't, I don't right. do it very well. Right. Tell us a little bit about the thief of colors, since we're talking about colors. Uh, the thief of the colors. Um, I, I didn't write it. I didn't write it for an audience. I did. I just wrote it because of my feeling that humans are extracting from the earth all the time, and we don't give back. And what's happening is things are going extinct. Um, we don't see the things that we saw that humans saw. 200 years ago, they're just not around anymore. Mm. And to me, that's a major tragedy. It's, it's humanity's downfall. Uh, so I expressed that through the story of a little girl who is caring for a beautiful, beautiful garden with many, the color, all the colors of the rainbow were in this garden. It was a magical garden. And she sees, she has, it's a castle. She has, I don't mean to go through the whole, mm -hmm. the whole plot, but She's the princess of a, of a kingdom which has is known for beautiful colors. And she's fine with that. And visitors to the cat, she works in the garden. Visitors come to the garden all decked out in jewelry of all sorts, gemstones and coronets and bracelets, etc. And all of a sudden she realizes she doesn't have that. All she has is flowers. 
to her. And so she gets greedy. She goes greedy and she runs off and, and she has a wish through various machinations in the story. She gets a wish and she wishes for jewelry. And what happens is then she gets rubies and all the red flowers are gone. She loves sapphires. When she gets the sapphires, all the blue colors are gone. It's just a parable, really, for what we're doing to our own planet, which is so beautiful. Um, we want the materials it gives us and not the beauty too often. And that's what it's all about, really. But it's Wonderful. a story. It's a, it's a good yarn, too, I must say. Yeah, it's a great yarn and great illustrations as well. You live in a beautiful place. You live in the state of Maine. Do you find inspiration there? Very much so, yeah. And I have a little flower garden, too. Great. <laughs> and I understand from reading your bio that you live in a former tavern? Yes, it is haunted, too. Um, that's uh, the best kind of tavern to live in. <laughs> because well, the spirits I... are all drunk. <laughs> so Thank you. That explains the things they say to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's now, awesome. When we first, it, it's a very old house. And when we first moved in, uh, there were comments made to me from from space they've stopped because they've stopped doing it because i said look you don't have anything to do with me i don't have anything to do with you i'm sorry you're around to do this please go where you belong and leave me alone so they did good because so you're uh, peacefully <laughs> coinciding with the spirits at the tavern or else they've left or else or, they're or, really or, dead drunk they're really exactly. dead exactly <laughs> exactly. One of my favorite authors is Alice Hoffman. I don't know if you've read any of her works, but they're oh, all yeah. set up in New England, uh, in Massachusetts, on the Cape and in Maine. And uh, I find a lot of inspiration when up in, up in Maine, just looking at that rocky coast, just living through one of the main bleak winters is enough to make you find that writer deep inside of you, don't you think? Yes, because I'm not a skier. And so I don't go outside that much. I love the snow. It's beautiful. It is. But I sit doing creative things inside rather than doing creative things outside. I suppose I could make creative snowmen, but I just don't do that. <laughs> and this season, we didn't even have a lot of snow. So, no, we didn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was just cold and nasty a lot of the time. It's cold and nasty. And if you've been to Maine in the summer, it's gorgeous. One of these years, I'm going to spend a uh, winter in Maine. I always say to myself, I'll just have to deal with it getting dark at around 3.30 in the afternoon, which is very, very tough. Let's talk about one of your other books. Tell me about Beauville. Beauville. Ah. Um, before I say that, I have to say that in the, in the village, the, the little community in which we had a house uh, for vacations for a long time, there is a huge mountain called Hateful Hill. And the little hamlet is right underneath the mountain. And after four o'clock or even earlier, the sun goes behind the mountain. So you can't see the sun. And everybody says, grumble, 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 Hateful Hill. <laughs> and so mm. a friend was up visiting and he said, my, that sounds like a story. But he didn't go further than that. And that just sort of stuck in my mind. And I thought, that's true. What an interesting story that would make. So I wrote Beauville about a little town which has a huge mountain behind it which blocks the sun out and keeps the rain in this this is perpetually rainy weather in this little town called Beauville B-O-V-I-L-L-E but a little brave little girl who knows a witch who lives at the edge of town and who is the little girl has only known rain she said why is it always raining in Beauville 
and the woman after a long time says why don't you go and ask the mountain go and ask it yourself so the little girl takes a perilous journey up the mountain with her cat oyster and she gets to the top and she she has thought that the mountain has a rocky profile that might look like an old man so everybody says oh that's ridiculous when she gets to the top a drop falls on her from the tip of the, this mountain's nose or the man's nose and she yells at it and all of a sudden the man wakes up it was a giant it was a sleeping giant and he moves off and the little girl tumbles back down having done a brave and wonderful thing for the citizens of her town she banishes the bad weather and brings in the flowers and just because of her courage that's really what it's about but it, it was fun to write and i thank my friend who has now left this realm for a very flowery one i'm afraid um but uh, it was his it really his idea so uh, well it's great to take inspiration from that sort of like fit right into our conversation that you can take in inspiration from your environment and living near a place called hateful hill is uh <laughs> quite an inspiration for sure, but I love the story you created out of it with this very strong character of a little girl who uh, ends the rain and brings the flowers about. Just by losing her temper, I might say. Yeah. Well, right. don't underestimate the power of a bad temper, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> or speaking your mind, really. Is exactly, exactly. That's the New England way. I mean, people mm -hmm. in New England are very forthright. Um, as you know, from living up in New England, the heart of New England, I think there's no more New Englandly place than, uh, than Maine. Let's yes, talk I'm... about the very possibly true story of Alfred and Yip. I love this title. It's great. Thanks. Uh, again, this was inspired by the uh, carnage dealt to coyotes in Maine. They are open season. They're open season on bagging coyotes all the time. And I have a friend who is a wildlife biologist whose specialty is, is uh, predators. And she is, goes around Maine lecturing people about what benefits coyotes can bring. Mm -hmm. E.g., if they're near a farm, they will eat the rodents, which devour the, the farm, the, the uh, vegetables. So I, I didn't, I, she suggested writing a story so I did but I didn't really take it seriously so I worked on this for a couple of years and it's about a little abused German shepherd puppy lost in the woods the piney woods of northern Maine who is met and rescued by a coyote pup his own age and the story goes on he, he's taken to the his name is Alfred because he goes elf 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 <laughs> and his friend is yip because yip goes yip because he's a coyote uh, so he's taken by Yip to Yip's lair or den and raised to be a coyote. This is a little German shepherd and he thinks he's a, he thinks he's a coyote. And so they become very, very close to each other, he and Yip. And they go off to have adventures and they end up at, a, at an old bachelor farmer's potato farm in the north of Maine. And I think there's several of those. And uh, they get to work eating all the rodents and they get fat and complacent. The, the man sees them one day and they run away, except that the, the dog doesn't run away. The, the coyote goes back to the, his wild roots. The dog stays near civilization because instinctively he's a German shepherd. He's a dog. So somebody comes and shoots the coyote, shoots at the coyote. The dog is injured. They separate. The dog becomes the dog of the old bachelor farmer. 
And it, as it ends up, the coyote comes back and the farmer accepts him. He, they eat all the rodents and everybody in Maine thinks it's a good idea. And so coyotes are not the pariahs that they were before. And this was my effort to promote possibly a different perspective on coyotes because they are quite beautiful. They yeah. don't harm you really. They do eat rodents as along with insects and berries and things like that. So let's get, let's try to accept them for what they are instead of tormenting them. That exactly. was my point. And I also think the DNA of a coyote and a dog is so similar. You can't even tell the difference. I mean, basically a coyote is a wild dog. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, they're called the song dogs. Yeah. Because, oh, they make quite a noise at night. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it the first time. We were uh, COVID transplants and uh, we moved to a farm up in New England and hearing those coyotes at night, it's like, wow, what is that? I think I got the answer on Google when I heard the howl because I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was. It is beautiful, isn't it? It yeah. is beautiful. And you, can you can tell the little pups that are howling along because they have a higher yip. Yeah, yeah, it's very high pitched. It's surprisingly high pitched. Oh, no worries. Okay. okay. I tried to turn it off, but I'm not tech techy enough to do that. No problem at all. And I had a question for you while you were talking before about the po very possibly true story of Alfred and Yip. I'm presuming you write the text and then write the pictures. Is that how it goes? Or do you write the pictures? Yes. Or do you, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I do. That's the way I work it. Yeah, um, because that only makes sense. When I, when I write them, actually, I'm not thinking that I have the pictures in my head. As a matter of fact, it's it's rather eerie because these people, these characters, which I guess I have created, yes, I have, mm -hmm. uh, begun, begin to have a life of their own. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they're really out there. So I draw them as I see them and they're all integrated. But when I write the story, the universe that I'm creating is forming in my mind. So I don't do the story, the pictures first and then the story. The, do you feel like you've kind of moved into that world when you're writing it and drawing it? Like that's, Absolutely. yeah, that's your space yeah. at that point, right? It's kind of a fun place to be, don't you think? Sometimes it is, yeah. Yeah, um, well, you write some dark stories every now and then. So I guess. Well, the, the, you know, a thousand, a thousand spices is, is a rather dark story, yeah. But okay. that's not for children. Okay, yeah, let's so talk about the Inn of 1,000 Spices. I like that name as also. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the Inn of 1,000 Spices was born of my effort to link two dreams I had, both about spices and eating, several years apart. And it just seemed eerie that I would have those two dreams. Why, why would I? I mean, I like to cook, but... Um, so I, I moved them around together to see which one could bounce off of the other one. Would they, could they, could I possibly join them? So what the end of a thousand spices is, it's a rather long story about a boy who visits Philadelphia with his Dutch uncle. I don't know why that's necessary, but, <laughs> um, and they wander around, they got lost in, they get lost in Philadelphia and come upon a, an outdoor, lovely enchanted restaurant called the Inn of a Thousand Spices. Mm. And they go sit down and, and there's no menu, but lovely women dressed in strange costumes, this is part of my dream, come to them with, with those trays, you know, that are over the shoulder, ribbons holding trays, with all these exotic spices. 
And the women sing to them and say, choose a spice and we will bring you a dish that you will never forget. So they each choose. It's very odd. It's very beautiful. It's all sort of flowery and, and there are other people there. Nobody's talking. So they the, the, the dishes are served and they're delectable and they are based on whatever spice you you know you chose. Then they leave and they can never find the inn again. They look for it. Mm -hmm. All through Philadelphia, through the through the parts of Philadelphia that they've gotten lost in, they can't find it anywhere. And the man, the young boy grows up to a man who is obsessed with finding this inn. And and he searches many times on his own, never finds it. And he becomes an archaeologist and, and travels the world doing digs and explorations and can find spices. But he's trying to find the, the, the story of this inn. It, it, he thinks it's, it's haunting him. It's driving him crazy. He finally finds an old manuscript in a, libra a library in Tel Aviv. And it's a story about a woman who cooks magical food and her husband who asks her about it. And so she goes into this story about it. But he realizes that, that he realizes this, this is the, this is the origin of the inn is this woman who cooks these, these, she's, I, there's too much to explain about this mm -hmm. to make any sense to anybody, I'm sure. But he, he loses his mind gradually because he cannot find the inn. He mm -hmm. cannot find it at all. And he spends all his time looking for it. And the end of it is, please, reader, if you know anything about this inn, you must help me. Help me find this inn. <laughs> so it's, it's an open-ended sort of story, but I did link the two dreams, which that was my purpose. Well, I like it. I, it's very, very intriguing. Uh, it sounds like a place I'd like to go to. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Although I wouldn't want to be driven mad by not being able to find it again. That's for sure. Well, it was so real to them when they were there. He can't believe yeah. it doesn't exist. Exactly. Exactly. If you were to turn one of your works into a film, which one would you choose to do first? I think probably The Thief of the Colors. Mm. I think that would be a, a really fun film because it's all full of lovely things. You know, for instance, who doesn't like gorgeous jewelry? I certainly yeah. do. Um, and who doesn't like beautiful flowers? And who doesn't lose something all the time and try to find it? Finally, the little girl realizes what she's done. And who doesn't love the earth and, and lament the fact that things are being destroyed and, and extracted and not returned? And, uh, you know, the diamonds industry, the gold industry, oil, all these extraction industries. And what have we destroyed? Yeah. We've destroyed a lot. We better stop. And then sometimes people don't appreciate what they have. I mean, the little girl had everything. She just thought there was more to have. And uh, of a different sort. Yeah. Yeah. And what seems to be valuable to some is really not the thing of true value, too. I think that's one of the lessons as well. Yeah. And it, it was all her personal gain that she was after, not not presenting the world with these lovely, lovely flowers and caring for her gardens, which was her hereditary task. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's our hereditary task to do this. Yeah, I, I think that would be a great film. Would you would you like to do it animated or would you like to do it live action with like real actors and stuff? I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know enough about creating a film. I, I think partly 
I don't really know. That's a good yeah, question. It could be both. I, I mean, because uh, literally anything you can draw nowadays can be created on screen. I mean, it's if amazing. you can imagine it, they can make it with special effects and digital animation and they can make it look as real as you want. They can make it look as artistic as you'd like. So uh, that would be yeah. quite a process. I think you'd love that. You know, filmmaking. Yeah, filmmaking is great fun. I'd love yeah. it, yeah. I think filmmaking is best when you're the writer, the creator, and the director. The actors are just puppets. Unfortunately, that's a deep little secret. Everybody gets uh, thinks the actors should get all the credit, but they're the puppets. It's the director's medium for sure. You've got quite an impressive education, so you must hold that in high priority. Um, you uh, went to the universe, Chatham University. You mm -hmm. did postgraduate studies in art history, paleontology, uh, world mythology. Uh, why did you decide that you needed that kind of background as an artist? I, I didn't link the two. I just was satisfying lots of curious curiosity on my part. You know, mm. I, I was at Columbia University in New York working, and we were allowed at that point to take time off from the, from our work. I was a, a career counselor actually at Columbia um, to take a class or two during the day. So it was like a smorgasbord to me, you know. I, I'm curious about a lot of things. Uh, I grew up in New York City, and my father would take us every weekend to a different wonderful spot like the Metropolitan or the Museum of the City of New York, which was his favorite, uh, Museum of Natural History, of course, the zoo, various zoos. So uh, I think it was my father who, who made us, who, who cultured that curiosity, who cultivated that curiosity in me. So I've just been curious about a lot of things. So the, the chance at Columbia to take a course in these things was irresistible. So I did. Mm. And uh, it wasn't for art um, at all. I just wanted to, I actually wasn't an illustrator at that point either. Uh, I, I had wanted to be an archaeologist when I was a little girl. Mm. Uh, so the problem was when I got to graduate school, I couldn't decide which part of the world I wanted to be an archaeologist in or at so I just took them all and then I got interested in all of them and that led to other things and so forth so here I am wonderful writing. well I didn't take you for a New Yorker you don't sound like a New Yorker you must have been raised in Manhattan I presume yes right yeah Manhattan I, oh, I can sound have... like a New Yorker whenever I want to you know <laughs> we all can sound like New Yorkers when we want yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Manhattanites generally don't have that accent. It's mostly the outer boroughs who sound like that. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, to a certain yeah. extent, yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely. And my dad was raised in Manhattan as well. And so I had a similar upbringing that my dad took me to Battery Park a lot. We would yeah. catch films at uh, Radio City Music Hall. And uh, it's quite a great cultural experience and a great playground for a young mind and for someone who is curious about the arts. Absolutely is, yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting that you were, you were in, from Manhattan then as well, is that right? Well, he was from Manhattan. I was raised in New Rochelle, which is about 10 miles north right. of New York City. Yeah, but we used to take the train in the Stanford local into New York City all of the time. And I began my career working at CBS in uh, New York City. So oh, spent great. a lot of my career in New York City. Yeah. There's no better place to live and work on some levels, just like there's no better place to live and work on many levels in New England as well. Each has its own, you know, attributes mm -hmm. and uh, attractions. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah.
So what's next for you? What do you think, what are you looking to create next? Um, I have another story in mind. Um, okay. I sort of started. Um, I, uh, I have a, I have a, a yen for, for beading these days for jewelry making. Mm -hmm. So I've collected a great number of, of stones and, and little, actually some ancient things, which I like. Um, so I'm, Looking forward to the summer, which I'm going to spend in my studio, which is a little bit chilly in the winter. Mm. Uh, so I'll put together all these beads and make I hope make things that I like and possibly can sell. And mask making, too. I want to get back into that. And that um, sounds great. And would you sell yeah. them at some of the local shops or the markets that they have sometimes in uh, in Maine? Yeah, I, I this is a quite new venture for me. I guess it's my fourth year doing this now. I haven't quite figured out how to do it. I had an Etsy um, site, but yeah. most of the time in Etsy is for me was spent trying to arrange things and answer things and write sold and you know put it was it was the the t doing it at Etsy for me. I'm not really very well organized in that regard. I don't know mm -hmm. technical things very well, um, so it just took too much time and and uh, I sold some but it wasn't really worth it for me it was frustrating for me to try to figure out how to do it all so i i, I think i'm going to search for other venues um probably also online but it, perhaps not on etsy i don't know yeah i understand and particularly the creative mind sometimes doesn't work that well um i always say i'm an analog man stuck in a digital world but, uh, <laughs> i like that yeah, yeah but i've kind yeah. of learned to do some of the digital stuff what brought you to maine I married a, a man from Maine. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Actually, he was born in Georgia, which is strange. Okay. So various various waves of immigration and immigration got him up to Maine. And Actually, he was a student of mine. I had two years teaching at, of all places, a boys prep school in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he was a student. I taught art. And he was student younger than I. He's eight years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought he was a cute little boy, nice kid. And then by some kind of cosmic intervention, we ran into each other again uh, as adults. And uh, this, this led to that, and I married him. Wonderful. And That's a great he, story. He was living in Maine at the time, so yeah. uh, here yeah, I am. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, it sounds like you have a wonderful life between your artwork, your writing, your crafts, and uh, your lovely home there in the uh, Haunted Tavern. So uh, it's been a complete delight speaking with you. To the folks at home, the name of the books are The Thief of Colors, Beauville, The Very Possibly True Story of Alfred and Yip, and The Inn of 1000 Spices. And Judith, you have a website. Tell the folks at home what your website is again. Um, it is... Um... I actually have two websites. Uh, one is, um, oh dear, this is terribly embarrassing. What well, we will put it on the screen to make sure that the folks at home have it. So I, I won't put you on the spot. Sometimes it's tough to remember, if, particularly if it's not simple, like judithmitchell.com. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a little more I, complicated I honestly, than that. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Like I said, we will have it on the screen. Well, Judith, thank you so much for joining me here today on The Right Way. Well, thank you, Logan Crawford. It's been lovely talking to you and 
I appreciate your questions and your answers. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And to the folks at home, I'm Logan Crawford, thanking you for your time this time. Until next time on The Right Way.